Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mikesell. Today we continue our journey through the Apostles' Creed. Last week, we looked at the phrase, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. In doing that study, we recognized the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the key event in God's relationship with us as human beings. It's the resurrection of Jesus that validates his earthly ministry and his teaching. It's the resurrection of Jesus that proves that his death on the cross really does pay the penalty for our sins. It's the resurrection that allows us to have a current relationship with a living God. And it's the resurrection that points us to our own ultimate resurrection and eternal life with God. We affirm the significance. We affirm the centrality of the fact that on the third day, Jesus rose again. We celebrate that. We celebrate that each Sunday as we worship And we particularly celebrate that in a few weeks on Easter Sunday. Well, that part of the creed is vitally important. It's it's a climactic and significant part of the Apostles' Creed. It isn't the end of the creed. What are the impacts of the resurrection? How does it point us to what God has and is and will be doing in our lives and in our world after that? What is God's ultimate plan? Well, the creed leads us in then to that next phrase today, which is moving us past the resurrection into God's continuing work in our lives and in our world. I believe he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Let me say that again. I believe he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Following Jesus' resurrection, Scripture tells us that he spent 40 days making appearances to his disciples and followers and confirming the reality of his resurrection to them and pointing those followers to this time in which he would depart their presence and in which they would have further work to do following the path and the plan that God had for them. Today we're going to look a bit more closely at this passage in Acts that describes his departure— And then we're going to move into a discussion of the impact that Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father has both in heaven and here on earth. In doing so, we recognize that while Jesus' physical time on the earth had an end, his impact on our lives, his impact on the world around us certainly has not and will not come to an end. And so today I want to begin by reading the account from Jesus' ascension as described in Acts chapter 1. And as we've done throughout this series, we're going to be reading from the message version of the Bible. Dear Theophilus, in the first volume of this book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, He presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, 
but must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me. John baptized in water. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and soon. When they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? And he told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the world. These were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. They stood there, staring into the empty sky. Suddenly, two men appeared in white robes. And they said, you Galileans, why do you just stand here looking up at an empty sky? This very Jesus who was taken up from among you to heaven will come as certainly and mysteriously as he left. Now, for those of us familiar with the Bible, this passage outlining the ascension of Jesus may be something that we somewhat quickly gloss over. Sure, Jesus' body departed the earth and he returned to heaven. When you really think about it, that's actually a pretty bizarre situation, a pretty bizarre statement to make, as highlighted by the response of Jesus' own followers. Think about it. Where did Jesus go and how did he get there? What does it mean he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud? I mean, if there were airplanes or spacecraft in that day, could you have flown alongside or nearby and waved at him from the windows? Could air traffic control have been able to track his movements into outer space? If the disciples had some sort of a, a stronger looking glass, would they have been able to continue watching him for longer as he went into the sky? Now, while these questions may be intriguing, they miss a fundamental reality about the ascension. Jesus' ascension was not about relocating from one physical place in the universe to another physical place in the universe. Jesus' ascension was about relocating to the spiritual realm in which he had existed from eternity past to eternity future. And that's not to suggest that heaven isn't real or a real place. But it is to say that it is of a fundamentally different substance than the material world in which we live. The passage here says that the cloud came over Jesus and he returned home to heaven. This isn't a place in the sky or a point on some map of the universe, but it is the eternal home of the great God of the universe. And we don't have time today to, to spend a lot of time talking about what the Bible talks about heaven. It's certainly a worthwhile, and you'd be encouraged to, to spend some time studying that topic. And it is a topic on which the Apostles' Creed is going to at least tangentially return a little bit later when it talks about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. But for our purposes today, it seems helpful to be reminded of two things. Heaven is the place of the presence of Jesus, and Jesus is there preparing a home for us, his followers, to be in his very presence forever. That's summed up well in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, where we read this. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may also be. The disciples enjoyed the physical presence of Jesus here on earth. 
They knew the remarkable nature of walking with him, of talking with him, of being in his presence as he went about the various daily tasks of life. The ascension of heaven could seem to forever sever this fundamental close physical relationship that the disciples so enjoyed. But Jesus assured his disciples, and Jesus assures us today, that there will come a time when Jesus returns to rejoin us to his physical presence. And in a world of trauma, in a world of turmoil, a world that sometimes feels like it's crashing down all around us, isn't that a comforting thought? Isn't it comforting to know that this world is not our eternal home? Jesus' ascension points us to that time when we are renewed in God's physical presence and invited to experience him as he says, to, as he takes you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. What a beautiful picture of our hope as followers of Jesus Christ. And when we see and read the ascension of Jesus, we're reminded, we are reminded of our eternal hope in the presence of God in heaven. The creed affirms, I believe that Jesus ascended into heaven. And then it goes on to say, and it is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The ascension removed Jesus from our physical world, but it certainly wasn't the end of his existence. He didn't vanish into nothingness. Instead, he returned to his eternal home in the presence of the Father. He returned to heaven. The relational challenge experienced in the Trinity while Jesus was on earth was closed. But what difference does that make that Jesus returned to heaven? What's the significance of Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father? Well, to answer that question about Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father, we're going to look at, at two places that were directly impacted. Being seated at the right hand of the Father had an impact in heaven, and it also has an impact on earth. To better understand the impact in heaven, we're going to turn to a passage in Revelation chapter 4, which was set in a slightly different context, but given the reality that God exists outside of time, uh, time and space, it still gives us a glimpse into the glorious place of Jesus as he returned to the right hand of the Father. There in Revelation chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, we read, Then I looked, and oh, a door opened into heaven, the trumpet voice, the first voice in my vision called out, Ascend and enter. I'll show you what happens next. And I, John, was caught up at once in deep worship. And oh, a throne set in heaven with one seated on the throne, suffused in gem hues of amber and flame with a nimbus of emerald. Twenty-four thrones circled the throne, with twenty-four elders seated, white-robed, gold-crowned. Lightning flash and thunder crash pulsed from the throne. Seven fire-blazing torches fronted the throne. These are the sevenfold Spirit of God. And before the throne, it was like a clear crystal sea. Prowling around the throne were four animals, all eyes. Eyes to look ahead, eyes to look behind. The first animal, like a lion. The second, like an ox. The third, with a human face. The fourth, like an eagle in flight. The four animals were winged, each with six wings. They were all eyes, seeing around and within. And they chanted night and day, never taking a break. Holy, holy, holy is God our master, sovereign, strong. The was, the is, the coming. 
Every time the animals gave glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the age after age living one, the 24 elders would fall prostrate before the one seated on the throne. They worshiped the age after age living one. They threw their crowns at the foot of the throne, chanting, Worthy, O Master, yes, our God, take the glory, the honor, the power. You created it all. It was created because you wanted it. Now, I recognize as we read through that passage from Revelation 4, that there are a lot of images and a lot of word pictures that seem rather strange and are difficult for us to understand. There have been countless Bible scholars who have spent a lot of time and a lot of pages of print interpreting these signs and images and trying to understand exactly what is being described in this vision that came to John. Here's the thing. We don't have to grasp every detail to see and to understand that the one seated on the throne is great, is worthy of worship and praise as outlined by those who are in his presence. And that one, that one is Jesus himself. The return to the right hand of the Father is a return to his rightful place of glory and honor. It's a return to a place of recognition that he was no mere human being. This one is the God of the universe, both the physical world and the spiritual world. And because he is God of all, our response to him is not merely trivial. And this picture of Jesus receiving glory and praise underscores a point that was made earlier in the creed. Jesus was and is fully God and fully human, 100% divine and 100% like us. Now, our finite brains can't fully comprehend that fact. Our mathematical understanding is that 100% is the maximum. But in God's math, Jesus can be both of those things simultaneously. And as we learn to relate to God, and we learn to relate to Him through Scripture and prayer, it can be easy for us to focus heavily on the humanity of Jesus. He does desire a relationship with each one of us. He does, does desire that we talk to him, that we recognize the ways in which he can relate to our earthly existence because he shared that very same earthly existence. But, but, we must never allow that invitation into a relationship with God to obscure the fact that this is the awesome, powerful, great God of the universe who is worthy of respect, honor, and glory. And while Jesus is able to hold this full humanity and full divinity in, in the right kind of tension, we can sometimes obscure and take for granted the greatness of who he is. When we hear and when we glimpse the glory due to Jesus, our eyes are raised, our worship gets recentered, and we recognize him for the great God that he is. Also an important and interesting reminder in this image of the glory of Jesus is a reminder of how far he had to step down in order to become one of us. It was no small thing for Jesus to leave that glory, to leave that place of honor and power, and to become a little baby, to become a mere human being, one with the foibles and flaws, but not sin that we have. Philippians 2 Paul describes it this way. He says, Think of yourselves the way Jesus Christ thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but 
didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Being seated at the right hand of the Father returns Jesus to his rightful place of glory and honor. And affirming that fact in the Apostles' Creed reminds us of the praise that we are to give to him. Jesus being seated at the Father's right hand certainly impacts the heavenly realm and reminds us of what is happening in that heavenly realm. When we say, I believe he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, we affirm the greatness. We affirm the glory due to Jesus Christ. While we affirm Jesus' departure from the earth, that doesn't mean the end of his influence on our world or on our lives. In fact, it means just the opposite. Jesus' departure opens the way for a new means by which God impacts our world. And primarily that happens, as Jesus outlined here, in the coming of the Holy Spirit. We're going to focus more on the Holy Spirit's involvement in our world in, in a few weeks. But the critical insight for today is the relationship between Jesus' departure from the world and the coming of that Spirit. Now, it might seem possible that both Jesus and the Spirit could be actively involved in our world at the same time. And in fact, passages like Acts 1 that we read earlier indicate that the Holy Spirit was at work in the, for example, selection of disciples. So, in fact, God and the Spirit, Jesus and the Spirit do act and operate to some extent at the same time. But in God's complete plan, the unleashing of the full impact of the Holy Spirit could be accomplished only with Jesus' departure from the scene. By ascending into heaven, Jesus paved the way for the coming of the Spirit. And that Spirit would empower the disciples. And that Spirit empowers us to be witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ in our world. One significant impact of the return of Jesus to heaven was the opportunity for the coming of the Holy Spirit to impact us on earth. Another significant impact on our lives, on our world, of Jesus being at the right hand of the Father is that there at the right hand of the Father, he intercedes on our behalf. In other words, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. Paul in Romans 8 describes it like this. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own Son— is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Having lived on this planet as a human being, Jesus has experienced and understands the very real trials and temptations of this life and of this world. 
As a result, he has compassion on us. He's sticking up for us, as it says there. And that's certainly to me an encouraging thought. To think that, that Jesus is there reminding the Father as if the Father needed reminding, but that, that it's not on our own merit that we come to God, but it's on the merit of Jesus. And that Jesus is remembering and recognizing the difficulty of this world, the impossibility of us living the sinful life that he was able to live, the concurrent reality that he died for those sins and rose again. We can find hope and we can find forgiveness of those sins and relationship and new life with God. That should make us grateful. Grateful for the gift of God. Grateful that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, sticking up for us, being that way to the Father, that way back to right relationship with God. When we recite in the Apostles' Creed and when we refer and affirm, I believe that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, we affirm a great deal in that statement. We recognize that Jesus' earthly existence came to an end, not through the normal means of death and burial, but through the extraordinary means of ascension. And by ascending to heaven and by sitting at the right hand of the Father, Jesus continues to impact not only heaven, but the world in which we live. May we give him the glory due such a Savior. May we receive the comfort and encouragement from the Holy Spirit that Jesus truly is our advocate with the Father and our ultimate source of hope, hope, both in this life and in the life to come. Thanks be to God for this great gift. I believe that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God. The Father. Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 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 Amen.